Greetings and welcome to In Tune with VHBC, a podcast about music and worship at Vestavia Hills Baptist Church. I'm Marty Watts, Minister of Music at VHBC. In today's episode, I'll share about the hymn, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners, and guest host Beth McGinnis will interview me. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any future episodes. Now, let's get in tune. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving, He is with me to the end. This memorable refrain comes from Wilbur Chapman's Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. Chapman lived in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, and he was a Presbyterian minister in the northern United States and later became an evangelist. One other hymn text written by Chapman that you may recognize is One Day or Living He Loved Me. He wrote Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners in 1907. There were originally five stanzas. Our hymnal includes four of those. The first three follow the same format, Jesus, what a friend for sinners, Jesus, what a strength in weakness, Jesus, what a help in sorrow. And then the final stanza is slightly different, Jesus, I do now receive him. This text was written specifically to go with the tune Hefredol, and though the tune was not originally a gospel tune, the text follows the same gospel song format, with stanzas followed by a memorable refrain. The tune is Welsh and was written by Roland Pritchard in 1830, when he was only 19 years old. Pritchard was a textile worker and amateur musician and led the congregational singing at his church. It's interesting to me to note that the tune has a range of only five notes, except at the very end where we go up to the sixth pitch. This tune is very popular, and our Celebrating Grace hymnal includes three other texts to this tune, one of which we explored in a previous podcast, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. This episode concludes with the singing of Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners by the Congregation of Vestavia Hills Baptist Church with Dr. Beth McGinnis at the organ. If you have a hymn to suggest for a future episode of the podcast, feel free to contact me at marty at vhbc.com. the moment we've all been waiting for. (laughs) I am so excited to be able to turn the tables on you today and interview you as so many of our podcast listeners, your podcast listeners have been asking for someone to do. So thank you very much for being with me today. Well, thank you. This will be a, a different experience for sure. You look a little nervous, Marty. No, no, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Okay, maybe a little bit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, let me see if I can set your mind at ease um, a little bit. I'm going to follow the same questions, basically, that you've been asking everybody else. But I do have to shape those questions a little bit because of the nature of your work. Um, So the first question particularly is that way. You've been asking everybody what they're involved in at Vestavia Hills Baptist Church, and we might all think that we know the answer to that question, but 
we might not know as much as we think we do. Could you tell us what all your work as Minister of Music and Worship entails, and also maybe a little bit about how that has changed over the few years that you've been at Vestavia? Oh, good question. Um, You know, I think in um, broad strokes, um, there are elements of, for me, worship planning, um, uh, leadership of music ensembles, um, pastoral care, not just for people within those ensembles, but also just the church as a whole. Uh, And then um, just sort of uh, collaborative elements where, you know, it may not there may be a project or a special event where I'm not particularly, uh, my work as a musician uh, is not necessarily what's being called upon, but my just sort of general um, involvement as a, a fellow staff member or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, worship planning um, is more than just picking three hymns and calling it a day. Um, you know, I really uh, am uh, grateful for times that I have to sort of have um, information about sermons and that sort of thing in advance where I can meditate on the text, think about um, maybe themes that are presented there, uh, and think about um, other scriptures and hymns and prayers and um, and choral pieces and that sort of thing that, that can tie in with that. And then sort of the coordinating aspect of, of the worship planning, making sure that there are lay readers and that... Um, all those sort of details are, are handled. Um, you know, ensemble leadership, um, it, you know, involves um, picking repertoire for the groups that I lead, um, uh, rehearsing, planning rehearsals, uh, sort of um, minding the, the rhythms of the church year, of, um, uh, you know, special uh, liturgical uh, holidays, that sort of thing, Christian calendar kinds of things. Um, And also, for the ensembles that I don't directly direct, (laughs) I guess you could say, um, to to, um, provide resources for them as well. So yeah, um, it's, uh, I I am grateful to not be um, involved in just one of those areas. I uh, one of the things that I like about the work that I get to do as a minister of music is that it um, expands uh, beyond just ensemble leadership or beyond just planning a worship service every week, but that there are so many uh, facets to it that I get to get to do every week. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think are areas where you're particularly skilled or your experience maybe might lend itself to something that needs doing, um, maybe not as a musician, but as part of the staff team. Yeah, I think um, um, areas where there can be some um, evaluation of processes, maybe, um, you know, some of the how the sausage gets made kinds of things. Um, you know, I... Um, I I enjoy kind of looking at um, those internal processes and maybe thinking about ways that they can be um, more efficient or more uh, collaborative in nature or um, more standardized for everyone's <laughs> benefit, that kind of thing. So that, um, you know, things that 
you know, people may not even think about, um, uh, you know, a, a regular church member wouldn't think about, but some of the things that happen week in and week out, I, I like to um, think through ways that we can, we can make those more efficient and um, uh, sort of work more smoothly. Yeah, I, I would agree that you are particularly good at that, and it ties in to worship planning. Um, to my mind, um, there's a there's a big picture and an eye for detail in both of those things. And you mentioned um, how worship planning is it goes deeper, it goes beyond picking out three hymns. And um, one of the things that I think is so so. Um, meaningful about our worship at Vestavia is the resonance that uh, permeates every worship service. And I know that that resonance doesn't just happen. It, it has to be planned and it has to, there has to be an eye to the big picture and to the details. And mm. I think you're really good at making that happen. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And I also think, um, specifically related to worship planning is that the idea of uh, being a curator of, you know, all of these written materials and musical things and, um, you know, written prayers and um, all, all those sorts of things. Um, with the internet, there's an infinite number of all those things available with a, a, a sub one second search on Google. Um, but they're not all uh, worth using, uh, and so I feel like a lot of what I'm uh, able to do in worship planning and, and preparing those services every week is to find um, the, the best of those things that, that are appropriate to our context and, and fitting for the day. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for that work. So I'm wondering how, um, how all of this work that you do, how have you had to change with the pandemic, but then maybe even going back before the pandemic, you know, we've gone through, I don't know, five or six different seasons, I would call them, even just during the pandemic of mm -hmm. doing things one way or, you know, how, how has all that changed? Um, well, uh, pandemic uh, time has, a lot more of my work seemed to be uh, front facing, I guess. Um, uh, you know, preparing services with an eye toward them being um, broadcast only versus people being in the room, which I, I'm grateful that in the last uh, few months we've been able to begin to have people in the sanctuary again and now um, expanding that even more. Uh, but for those many months where it was just a handful of us in the sanctuary and to think about um, how we continue to stay true to our church's identity uh, and what all that means, especially for worship, but then acknowledging that it's just not the same. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm fortunate that my staff colleagues um, were invested in that, um, in that as well, that um, being online only for those, for those months and making that uh, as successful as it could be. Yeah, I remember the first time we recorded the, the very first service, I didn't clue in right away. You know, I, I thought we were doing just an audio recording because we, ha we, we broadcast on the radio, and so I guess I made that connection, but I didn't dress 
for video. And <laughs> so I got there and you you informed me that we were <laughs> going to be on video. So I just put on a choir robe and it was fine. Um, but then after that, I made sure I had my black pants on, you know, but <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, but it seems like, I mean, we've come a long way since then, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, um, just the, within this pandemic time, like you say, so many different seasons within you know, I think we'll look back on it in 10 years, 15 years or whatever, and say that was the pandemic time. But living through it, there's been so many different um, different times and different um, challenges to, to overcome. And even now that in some ways it feels like we're coming out of it, we're still faced with um, um, those challenges of how to do things safely and uh, with... with uh, um, continuing to engage the congregation and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, this next question that you've been asking everyone else, I think um, does pertain to you um, pretty much in the same form. So tell us a little bit about your early music background. What, um, how, how did you grow up with music? And then how that led to a career in music ministry? Um, I... Um, like so many other folks on the podcast, um, had um, music in church uh, as a child was such an important part of that. Um, my parents were musical, and I'll share about that a little bit later, I'm sure. But um, so that was an important part: children's choirs and that sort of thing. Um, I actually um, started taking piano lessons in elementary school and continued those through high school and. Um, because of that, I ended up accompanying uh, children's choirs uh, as a, you know, high schooler. Um, and even in my senior year of high school, I played the piano for a tiny, tiny church um, mm-hmm. in Metro Atlanta. Uh, and so um, that was uh, sort of my first um, opportunity to be a regular worship leader uh, from mm-hmm. the piano. Um, but then I, um, in sixth grade, we had the opportunity to choose a band or a string instrument, and I chose the cello. I joke um, that all the other instruments you could play standing up, but the cello was the only one that you could sit down to play, and so that was the reason why I chose it. Uh, <laughs> I've since learned that um, there's evidence that there were um, marching cellos that had um, holes and a, a, a mechanism to to sort of wear a strap and mount it. But anyway, that's uh, wow. <laughs> neither here nor there. Anyway, you usually sit to play the cello. <laughs> so that was my joke. But um, anyway, I um, was fortunate at my church uh, growing up, Second Ponce de Leon Baptist in Atlanta, um, was fortunate to have uh, a really wonderful music ministry and a music minister, John Condra, who uh, was there for, um, I think, almost 30 years. Uh, and as I began the process of thinking about what I wanted to study in college uh, and where I wanted to do that, um, it was like pieces of a puzzle fitting together for me. My, my um, such positive experiences in my church growing up and, and enjoying being there and the skills that um, I had as a musician. Um, and you know, there was a college fair at my high school, and um, Sanford and a, a couple other schools listed in their music brochures about church music or sacred music, and it 
for whatever reason, it wasn't until that point that it just sort of all came together. It's like, that's something that I could do. Um, mm. And that's, that's something where I see all these components of, you know, different aspects of my life coming together. Um, you know, people talk about being called to ministry and, um, you know, there'll be an altar call and you walk the aisle and you surrender yourself to the full-time gospel ministry. That's kind of the, the phraseology that you, you may have heard um, in, you know, years gone by. But for me, it was a much more organic evolution um, where I kind of saw these different areas of my life coming together in this particular calling uh, and so I uh, went to Sanford as a church music major with uh, studying cello and then um, stuck around and did my master's in uh, music there, church music as well. Um, so that's sort of my uh, journey through the, the college years. Mm. And before you came to Vestavia, you had a pretty long tenure at a church in Georgia. That's right. Um so I finished my master's in uh, spring of 2004 and um, was called to serve the First Baptist Church of Griffin, Georgia, uh, and we were there for 14 years. Um, so I started in um, uh, the summer of 2004 and um, through uh, May of 2018. Um, that was, uh, you know, I uh, was having just finished my master's degree, uh, to be called to a church like that was um, a wonderful opportunity and um, learned a lot in my 14 years. Went went through um, a number of um, really positive experiences, but also had some challenges there with um, just different things, uh, music ministry related and not uh, other areas, but I really felt uh, fortunate for that time and then to be um, called to Vestavia. Well, I have to say that I am very grateful to that church for um, the experiences and um, the the training, I, I think, that you had there. Um, and I'm sure they're grateful for what you gave them. But when you came to Vestavia, you came with this depth um, and experience that, um, you know, you, you don't just get instantly um and you don't get just with a degree you know you get it through the experience of of doing that ministry and um i think we've really benefited from that so when you see them tell them thank you for me (laughs) (laughs) well you you've mentioned a little bit about your parents but um tell me about your family um extended family family of origin Sure, yeah. Well, um, I'll start off saying that um, uh, my wife Karen and I got married in 2011, and we have a recently turned six-year-old named Duncan, who's um, terribly introverted and shy, which um, I think you and I both know is completely sarcastic. He's um, more extroverted and outgoing than Karen and I are combined, Uh, Mm -hmm. but um, we are so grateful to have Duncan in our lives. We, um, uh, Duncan was uh, born after uh, we went through IVF. We had um, issues with infertility, and so uh, you know every child is a gift. But we are particularly grateful to have to have Duncan. And um, Karen and I met when we were um, at the premiere of the Celebrating Grace hymnal, which um, our church uses, and uh, a number of folks in our church uh, were involved with the 
the creation of that hymnal. And um, so we met, we ended up sitting together at a table randomly at a brunch um, that was part of that uh, premiere event. And, um, you know, it, it went from there and we got married um, just shy of a year later. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, now Karen has been a guest on the podcast and she has told that story from her perspective. Is there any correction that you need to make now or anything you need to add to her account? No, I think what she shared was pretty accurate. Um, we, she did mention um, that our mutual friend, she, her minister of music at the time at the church she was attending in Atlanta, Smoke Rise Baptist, was, um, uh, we were sitting at the table with him and he had a terrible nosebleed. And um, so that's probably the most memorable uh, part of that, of that story is the nosebleed that brought us together. <laughs> I can think of worse ways to come yeah. together than a nosebleed. Yeah. Um, maybe not more interesting, but. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, so my family of origin, I, um, I guess I'll say that my two grandmothers, maternal and paternal, were um, both musical. And uh, um, my uh, maternal grandmother sang in church choir for most of her adult life until she sort of aged out, which um, was a benefit to us, her grandchildren, because that meant she could sit with us in church on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. um, and then my paternal grandmother uh, studied music education in college and was a, an elementary music teacher um, uh, for a few years until she had her own children and, um, you know, went to, to do mothering full-time at home. So... Uh, so I have that sort of background, and then my parents both are musical as well. Uh, my uh, mother, who's uh, now deceased, but she um, played piano and sort of dabbled in guitar and ukulele and all those sorts of things, but also sang in choirs uh, through her adult life as well. Uh, and my dad um, also sang in choirs. He plays the clarinet, or played maybe a better way to say that, <laughs> plays the clarinet, um, I keep trying to, to get him to, to pull it back out, but he um, did, you know, governor's honors um, clarinet and played in the marching band at Georgia Tech uh, and then, you know, uh, sang in, in choirs through adulthood as well. Um, mm -hmm. I have uh, a sister and two brothers who are all also musical. Um, my sister um, teaches a couple of piano lessons uh, and she helps to lead the music at uh, with the Hispanic congregation at Dawson. Uh, and then um, my two brothers uh, are also musical. They have sort of their own um, pieces of that that they do. My youngest brother, uh, who lives in Texas, is actually a, a part-time minister of music at a Lutheran church, aside from his work as a, a hospice chaplain. So, yeah, mm -hmm. a, a, a musical family for sure. People used to joke uh, in our church growing up that we were the Von Watts family. Not the Von, the Von Trapp family, but the Von Watts family. So. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think that your brother Rick, um, I, I think I intersected with Rick at Samford when I was um, still teaching on an adjunct basis, but I, I think I had him in Music History 3. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I think I did. Um, but, you know, it's, I, yeah. 
Interesting connection. Well, and I, I think I should also share another um, connection that my family has with you. Uh, we figured out, uh, my dad, my mom passed away in 2010. My dad got remarried in 2016. And the first time that my dad's wife and he came to worship with me here at Vestavia Baptist, we realized that it's quite possible that my dad's wife was your middle school math teacher in making Georgia. <laughs> I know. I don't know how we got to that. I don't. I don't remember how we got to that connection and figured it out. But um, yeah, we sort of we started asking each other questions and small talk, you know. And eventually, we just kept drilling down and down. Were Nate? When were you in Macon? Uh, when were you in Macon? And you know, yeah. So pretty, pretty great connection there. Well, as you mentioned uh, in your podcast episode, we're we're all connected. So um, we are yes, and some sometimes in middle school math class. Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, and among other ways. Well, that actually leads me to the last question that you've been asking everyone, which is so wonderful, and I can't wait to hear your answer to this question. You've been um, asking everyone based on the second half of John ten ten, when Jesus said, "I have come to that you may have life and life to the full." Um, so Marty, what's bringing you abundant life these days? Well, this question obviously is no surprise since I've asked it 40 times previously, Mm. but, um, so I, I I have been thinking about what my response would be. And I think first of all, um, like some other people during the pandemic, um, um, more, more time to cook and play around with different recipes and that sort of thing. Um, uh, I've, I do most of the cooking at our house anyway, um, but um, having some extra time, especially early on when we were all um, sort of sheltering more than we are now um, to cook and experiment, I, um, everybody was baking bread and I couldn't uh, find yeast. And I, I scored a bag, a five pound bag of yeast uh, from Amazon, <laughs> which, you know, a five pound bag, I don't know that I'll ever I mean, I may pass it on to Duncan because they'll. It will still be there. Um, it's all in my freezer, waiting to be used. But you know, I did some bread baking, and uh, Karen got for my birthday this year a um, uh, a sous vide cooker, a water bath cooker. So I've been using that and mm-hmm. experimenting with that. So cooking, I think, has been one thing. Um, the other thing that I've been doing uh, back in March of last year, just before the the pandemic. Uh, I started using the app called Duolingo and learning Spanish. And so I am um, a year and a couple of months with a daily Spanish lesson on the the Duolingo app. So um, I joke with my sister, who is a high school Spanish teacher, that I am perfectly fluent now. But uh, in reality, I am far from it. But uh, all that to say that it's, um, it's been fun. I get a little... A reminder on my phone if I forget, and um, but uh, it's been been fun to just sort of um, to to try that out and and see how far it goes. Yeah, well, Duolingo will tell you exactly how fluent you are, won't they? Yes. I mean, doesn't the app? And have you held that up in front of your sister? <laughs> well, she. 
<laughs> she would then, um, I'm sure, speak to me a million miles a minute in Spanish, and I would have no idea what she's saying. So, you know, there's the test right there. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> um, and I have to say, the Duolingo app does really well at making me think I know a lot because it knows what I know, and it so it asks me questions and all the stories mm -hmm. and the are things that yeah. I already know, and it makes me feel great. And then I go out in the real world and try to use it, and I realize how little I do know. <laughs> Um, oh, that's a great habit, though. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, some days I really don't, I'm not, not feeling it that day, but I push through and get my, you know, as little as three or four minutes in. But, it, uh, you know, I do feel a sense of accomplishment now, you know, 400-something mm -hmm. days into it. So, uh, yeah. and I think the last thing is that um, my family, my dad and his wife and my siblings and their families, who I actually have two um, nieces who have been born in the last uh, a little over six months, seven months, um, but we've, um, we've been meeting on Zoom every week, and so we, uh, we call it Watts for dinner, and uh, <laughs> so we meet on Zoom, and um, just get to catch up and, you know, pre pandemic, that would never have happened. We would, you know, maybe have a phone call individually, um, but not every week and certainly not all together. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. been a real joy to be able to see each other, uh, and to share what's going on in our lives and to, to meet our nieces, uh, on, mm -hmm. on zoom. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's just been great to, to connect with them on a more regular basis. And I'm so grateful mm. for technology that allows us to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are all connected one way or another, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you for that. Well, Marty, this has been a really fun conversation. Thank you for being up for this. Oh, yeah. um, willing to let us turn the tables and put you in the hot seat for once. And thank you again for doing the podcast in general. It's been such a blessing to all of us through this time. Well, thank you. And thank you for uh, hosting and being a, a gracious host and not uh, giving me any um, terribly challenging questions. I, I felt at ease. Thank you. Oh, good, good. Well, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Thanks. All right. See you soon. Subscribing to or following this podcast makes it easy to find new episodes. This episode concludes with the singing of Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. 